Turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Hey, and I just want to share a little thing with you. Yesterday, we had our annual church picnic slash baptism, and man, it was just the greatest time, and it was, it was really true. You know, I've been doing this for over 30 years, and we haven't missed a year having a baptism. And, uh, I mean, it didn't matter where we were. If we were on a black horse pike, we had it on the black horse pike, but we were having a baptism. Uh, but since the Lord blessed us with these grounds, man, now, now it's turned, out, turned into like a huge picnic, and we had all a bunch of stuff for the kids to mess around on. And, uh, but this year was kind of, it was great because um, we changed it up a little bit for the baptism. Um, we had a mic uh, set up where, how many guys were there yesterday? Okay, see, so so I'm preaching to half the choir. So we had a mic set up there, and uh, Brian and I was in the pool, and um, the candidate, you know, the one that's going to get baptized, would come up, and there was basically two questions, you know. Are you saved? And, uh, and why are you being baptized today? And uh, legitimate, right? It's a good question, but man, uh, one guy comes up, and Juan goes, um, are you saved? And the guy goes, that's why I'm here. And he goes, and Juan didn't know how to respond. So he goes, oh, um, well, why do you want to be baptized? So I get saved. So I, I went, oh, wow. So he comes down and I knew exactly what was happening. Here's a guy, totally biblical, who will get saved and be baptized in one heartbeat, man. So I said, all right, man, let's lead you to the Lord and we're going to dunk you, you know. And uh, then there was another guy um, who got in there and same thing, you know. He stood there and he goes, uh, are you saved? And he goes, well, that's why I'm here. So he comes down and gets saved and baptized. It was just a glorious time. But really what got my heart was when the kids came. Uh, we had maybe, what, eight or nine kids come up, and Juan would ask them, you know, you know, why do you want to be baptized? So I can follow Jesus. I don't know, oh, my goodness, you know. So it was just a great thing, man. It was an awesome day. But anyway, uh, with all that being said, uh, in Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9, 18-9, let me read the text to you, and we will... Uh, Stand, of course, and pray. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up uh, so much as his eyes unto heaven, but he smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, the publican, rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Let's stand together and pray over this text. Father, thank you for your word again, Lord. And Lord, thank you so much for yesterday, for all those who received and were identified in you and those dear little ones, Lord, who just want to follow Jesus. Lord, that your word says that we can be confident of this very thing, that if you begin a work, you're going to end it. You're going to complete it. So thank you for the work that you've done in their lives, and thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. And Father, again, we're mindful we stand because we recognize your word to be sacred and holy, and you yourself said you have esteemed your word above your own name. So Father, we don't take this word for granted, and we ask again for that anointing upon our eyes, our minds, our hearts, to receive everything the Holy Spirit desires to put into our hearts, minds, and eyes. So again, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our chief instructor here this morning. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. After establishing the context of this passage, it's obvious that he's talking to two groups. He's talking to his followers, known as the disciples, but he also was talking to a group um, called the Pharisees. And I'm sure it wasn't just the Pharisees, along with them was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. But in this parable, it's very obvious that he's directing this parable to a group called the Pharisees. Now, If we're honest with ourselves reading this, and I mean with honesty, he's not just talking about the Pharisees who existed 2,000 years ago, but he's talking about the Pharisees that exist in every one of us. The reason I say that is because we are descendants of Adam and Eve. We have a sinful nature, a fallen nature, and if not careful, I'll throw these words around like you know them. If not, I'll explain them. Pharisaic, Sadducees, the scribes, they were the intellectual. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves with those characteristic traits, you know. Pharisee, legalist, Sadducees, liberal, scribes, banking on their intellect and what they knew of the scriptures. The thing that I get from prayers, I know that God wants us to remember that in his eyes, his perspective, that prayer should be simple. And I don't mean simpleton, I don't mean childish, but maybe childlike, a simplicity about it. That is just simply talking to God, whether it's out loud or whether, whether it's silent, whether it's public or whether it's private. He loves his kids, sons and daughters of God, children of God, To simply come before him and simply just talk to him as your son or daughter would or as a a grandchild would. Um, 
you kind of look at it as if you're talking to a friend. When you're talking to a friend, you really don't have to kind of give it a lot of thought. It just comes out. It's a little natural. And, and, and sometimes it's not always eloquent. And sometimes it, you're talking to someone, it does, you, you think, I don't make any sense, do I? Ever have someone say, it's like talking to my granddaughter, Maddie. She talks away, but for the life of me, sometimes I don't know what the heck she's talking about. And I can't ask her to interpret because then I'll just get the same thing. I got to go to mom. Hey, mom, what is she, you know? I want to encourage especially young Christians today because we have a church load of young followers. That was obvious just from yesterday's baptism. People are signing up for the foundations class. I am so excited about that. Just learning what it means to be a Christian and how to walk with Christ, the tendons of faith. And, man, I love that kind of stuff, getting a sure foundation. It's a little disheartening for a pastor to talk to someone who would say, yeah, I've been saved for 20 years. Oh, yeah, do you believe in the rapture? What's that? Oh, I mean, what's that? You know, are you saved by faith through grace? I'm not familiar with that. So I really want the young believers to have a strong foundation. But don't let your... Um, your age in the Lord hinder you from coming to him and just talking to him just as if you were his friend or a son or a daughter. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to have the these and the thous in it. You know, did you ever hear someone pray like that, you know? Oh, omnipotent God, omniscient and all-powerful around a God, you know, and you're, oh, wow, what was that all that? You know, you don't know. I shared this a long time ago. In fact, it was funny when I shared it a while ago. Someone was there with me and and brought it to my attention that she was there when I had a young guy, a believer in the Lord. He just got saved, and he was at my at our dinner table with some others. And I said, um, "Hey, Rick, would you like to pray over the meal?" And he was a little taken back about it. Me? And I go, "Yeah." So he goes, "Yeah, man, I'll do it." And so he doesn't close his eyes. He kind of looks up in the heaven. He goes. Well, thanks, God. Thanks. Thanks. You know, and amen. All right, then. (laughs) You know, thanks. And uh, I think God got a lot of enjoyment out of that prayer. I don't know. How about you, you know? I want you to be encouraged always to talk to him no matter where you're at in your walk with him. Don't think of it just being simple, though, because prayer is very profound if you think about it. We should never lose the awe of prayer. Um, Think about that access that we can come anytime, day or night, anywhere we find ourselves, we can pray to him. I was trying to kind of teach him on that a couple weeks ago in the beginning of this chapter. It's very amazing and it's very humble. And the reason it's amazing and it's humble is because there was a tremendous price that was paid in order to give us this privilege called prayer. He is the one who has allowed you and I to come to him as a son or as a daughter. He is the one who has even said, I have now prepared a more perfect sanctuary for you to come into, whereby you can call me Abba Father. In other words, dad. But don't take that for granted. This is a privilege he has given us. When we come into his presence, we are still on holy ground. Remember that whole dialogue with Moses 
Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. What made it holy? He began to talk to Moses. His presence was there. So, folks, in prayer, he talks, I listen. I talk, he listens. We're on holy ground when we talk to him. Yes, we can come to him like a son or a daughter. We can talk with simplicity. We can make our request known before the Lord. We can do it with persistency. Keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking, keep doing it and doing it. It's not that he's saying no. He's just saying wait up for a little bit. Just wait. But it is a glorious privilege that you and I have when we go. Because, you know, when we go into prayer and we're in his presence, you know there's a few things that will take place. In his timing, but these will play no matter what you've gone. Maybe you're going through a dire, dire straits. Maybe you're going through a real rough time right now. You know what? When you walk into his presence, man, when you leave, it will be improved on. It might not be the answer you wanted. It might be weighed. It might be right away. You don't know. But you know when you leave his presence, you know you've been in the presence of God. And he is pleased with the way you've approached him. He is pleased the way you have approached him. And there's things I just, I think we need to embrace here today that prayer can be pleasant, uh, it can be pleasurable to the Lord. But we also have to embrace our prayers can be the opposite and not pleasurable to the Lord. Even I want to be bold enough to say there are some prayers where God might not even listen to. And that almost seems to go against his nature. But if God shows us what pleases him in prayer, the flip side of that coin is he'll also show us what's not. And I think we need to embrace both, church. So when we're in his presence, we can sense there's something that's pleasing him. Look at verse 9 again, and I just want to explain a few things in some of these verses here. Also, he spoke this parable again to some of those who trusted in themselves. Now, a parable, most of you know this, but that's when Jesus would take an earthly story, something they're familiar with. Para means to bring alongside. Valuable means actually to throw it down. So he's telling an earthly story that they know, and then he's going to put next to it a spiritual truth. And now this truth that he wants them to embrace is the way we pray. What's pleasing and what's not pleasing. He goes up and he says he, he prays it to the, those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. It seems to be a self-righteousness there and also the way they despised others. So he starts the parable saying two men went up into the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee, the publican, meaning a tax collector. Notice the Pharisee stood and he prayed within himself and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And he kind of throws some dirty laundry out there extortioners and unjust adulterers and even as this tax collector oh i fast twice a week and i tithe of all my possession now it's obvious that what jesus is plainly trying to tell us here is that the father doesn't enjoy the prayer of those who trust in themselves they're self-confident they're self-righteous there's a false sense of piety to them The Father doesn't enjoy when even in our prayer that we start to kind of look down our nose at people or we point the fingers where we start to just to think they're of no value. And he goes, that's what the Father does not enjoy. 
Jesus is making a very negative example of these Pharisees. That's obvious as we look at this parable. But imagine, remember I told you there was two groups. There was the disciples and these religious leaders. Imagine how shocking it was for these religious leaders to hear this parable. He knows, they know, oh, here's another slam against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious community, you know. The Pharisees had this thing where they would think, if I pray to God, that's a blessing for God. Where really it's the other way around, folks. If we even, if we go and we talk to God, it's a blessing to us that he lets us do it. That he doesn't smoke us. (laughs) You know, well, there's none worthy. No, not one. So none of us are worthy to go into his presence. And yet we find ourselves there. We find ourselves there. We find ourselves in the presence of God and talking to Him and worshiping Him. We come here and we go, wasn't worship great? And I would agree with you. But on the other side of that, I go, man, it's amazing. He would even take my worship. He would listen to me. Why would He listen to me? Why, why would He receive it? You know, I'm so unworthy. He's given them a wake-up call. And again, not every prayer is pleasing to the Father. Now, the Pharisees, again, were the legalists, the religious legalists of their day. On the other side of the spectrum were the Sadducees, and they were the liberals of the day. The Sadducees, which is also called the theological liberals, is someone who will turn the Bible or who turns the Bible when they read some hard demand of the scriptures, they will often soften it with their own demands and they will try to minimize the request that God is asking. And they even compromise the word sometimes to do it. Now, the other group, the Pharisees, the legalists, they're a religious group of people who will take the simplicity of a command from the Bible and then they'll add man-made rules or maybe man-made traditions. And in order to do that, they try to make the scriptures so severe and more demanding, right? And um, it kind of goes like this. If the Bible says, thou shalt jump, well, the legalist for sure would say, you know, jump three times. That makes it more severe. It makes it harder. And if they can, if they can jump three times, they're going to ask you, you know, why are you only jumping once? Well, but that's all the Bible says. Yeah, but if you want to be more spiritual, if you want more clout to your world, then you got to jump three times. Well, how about four? No one can jump four. You know. I know it sounds like a silly illustration, but that's how it is. And again, remember I said we got to be careful of the pharisaic mentality? Well, I read my Bible one hour a day. How far do you read? How many hours do you read? Uh, I pray and I fast twice a day and I give my tithe. Do you tithe? Well, I can't right now. I can't pay my bill. Well, okay, Lord, I don't want to be like that, Lord. And we begin to despise people. And that kind of prayer, God says, is not pleasing to him. It's not pleasing. The legalist tends to believe that if one's not suffering in their personal relationship with the Lord, then he's not doing something right. Not doing something and um, again, so they'll come up with rules. They'll come up with regulate. Now, I'm not telling you, by the way, so don't don't misunderstand me. There are commands in the Bible that when you read them, you and I will say, oh, help me, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to keep it real with you. There's things that I pray, pray without ceasing. Come on, folks. 
You know, it's a challenge to be a giver uh, from my finances. That's a challenge sometimes. But yet I know the word tells us to do that. And so I go to the Holy Spirit. Lord, Holy Spirit, empower me. Speak to me. Show me, you know, what to do here. At least the, the, the one who's sincere and simple in his relationship, he knows to go to the Holy Spirit to ask for help. Where the legalist and the Sadducee and the scribe, they're going to try to venture out and to do it in their own merit, in their own strength, only to find themselves failing. And the Sadducee will be the one who won't care. There's, there's really two effects that it has on a person when they fall into a legalistic state of mind. It tends to make us hypocrites. The word hypocrite comes from a Greek word called hypocrite. Um, we also get a, a phrase also, two-face. Did you ever hear someone say, no, they're so two-faced, I can't stand them. You know, like that. they say one thing on one side and they're doing... Well, the, actually, that's exactly what... That word means if you were an actor way back in biblical days and you did theatric arts, um, you would go out as just one actor or actress and you would hold behind you two masks. One would have a happy face, one would have a sad face. So when the role he had to play was a sad face, he'd pull it out and he would talk to you with a sad face. Then when the happy person came on stage, he'd pull this one out. And that was a hypocrite. And what, what legalism does, and I'll explain why in a second, it eventually causes that person who might have been so sincere with God when he got saved. But over a period of time, you don't get just thrown into this thing of, now I'm going to be a hypocrite or a legalist, you know. You kind of grow into it, almost. You'll find out you start playing the roles and you start putting on the different faces. And eventually, you're going to find yourself becoming so discouraged. And you know why? Because you can't keep playing two roles as a Christian. You just can't do it. Either you're going to be a full-blown-out legalist and you're going to try to live that way the rest of your life, or you're going to feel like you're such a defeated and, you're, and that you're, you're not a good Christian on the whole time. A Christian is a Christian. There's no bad or good Christian. You're a Christian. You know, a dog is a dog, a cat is a cat, a Christian is a Christian. There's no half-dog, half-cat. See, God never said in his word where he would give us the power to follow man-made rules or traditions of men. Now, please, I am not saying to you that they're wrong. I got dear friends that are in. My brother was an Episcopal priest. He loved the Lord, and he was everything but legalistic. There's probably dear people in the Catholic Church who are following Christ. And now we all have kind of messed up doctrines here or there. That's why I joke with you and say we're pantheologists. When we get to heaven, it'll all pan out, you know? But, but, but within our prayers, we've got to be careful that we're not following the traditions of man. And we're not following, you know, man-made rules. But the Holy Spirit will never empower us to follow those things. He gives us the empowerment to follow his word and, and the convictions of our hearts. Um, what, what happens, too, by the way, is when that legalist, if you fall into that environment of legalism, you find that you just begin to just drain yourself of any resources, and you find that you, ultimately you just want to walk away from it. You don't want anything to do with it. I had a dear person in, 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 during the Jesus People movement. Now, she doesn't know, that, know this even to, to, today. Uh, uh, I don't care if she hears me. Her name was Lynn. 
And she was a, a big influence when I was a heathen because of her walk and how she loved her Bible. And it was during the Jesus People movement. It was because of her and another guy, Pat, and my brother, Denny, and all. They just had such an influence. Well, she got swept away, and she went off to the seminary that was very legalistic. Told you how to dress, couldn't wear makeup, couldn't go to movies, can't do this, couldn't do that, couldn't do this. And the last thing she ever posted, she must have blocked me, I don't get them anymore. And she said, I'll have nothing to do with Jesus because of that. So she went the other way because of legalism. She lost her joy, she lost her desire for the Bible, and now she's following this, I don't know, some stardust in the sky or something, I don't know. I love her, still do, and I hope she hears it. Um... The problem also becoming, you know, a legalist and falling into hypocrisy, when you do that, you have the tendency to kind of put those demands on other people. And, um, and, and that leads us to the second thing, the danger of hypoc- or legalism, that it leads us um, to despise others. If you re- remember in that text, you begin in verse 9, um, they were in themselves that they were righteous, they despised others. You know, when you do that, um, it become a legalist and you become self-righteous and all that. Um, you, you, do, you can have that tendency to start judging other people. And the reason they do that is because they, 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 they lose touch with the heart of God. If you keep the heart of God, if you just know the heart of God, you won't begin to despise others. That Greek word despise literally means um, to count as nothing. Like they don't amount up to anything. And, and my Bible, your Bible tells us that everybody is on the same playing field. Everybody's on the same ground when it comes to salvation. In the, in the epistle of Jude, he says, everyone gets saved with such common salvation. All of us have to come to the cross. We come with our de- depravity. We come with our debauchery. We come the way we are. Now, if you were a good person, bad person, a heathen, man, I saw, I heard some testimonies yesterday. I went, all right, man, you don't have to share all that, you know. You know, it's a, um, you think, wow, God's grace is powerful, man, and God's grace is mighty. You know, and um, and so that's the problem. You begin to you begin to judge people on your merits and on how you've achieved some of this stuff, and you start to despise other people. Everything about this person, this Pharisee, just exudes pride. It just radiates out out of their being. And the way we can keep pride um, reeled in or reined in is always to remember Isaiah chapter 64. Can you guys hear me in the back with the AC? Isaiah chapter 64 where it says, But we are like all things an unclean thing. All our righteousness is like a filthy rag. We are all infected and impure with sin. And when we display our righteous deeds, I wonder if the Pharisee was listening to this. When we display our righteous disease, they are nothing but a filthy rag. Now that's God's perspective on our righteousness. Amen, guys? Am I saying to you this morning, you're not to be righteous? No, 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 I'm not. But I'm, not, I'm talking about self-righteousness. You know, you, you look at the Bible and even some of those demands that might seem a little bit challenging with the help of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, those things that the Lord might request from us, they're possible, you know. 
each one of us, when we, call, when we humble ourselves and we approach God with humility, it will be inevitable that you'll treat your fellow man the same way, with humbleness, humility. Someone once said that humility is made of two things, and I have to agree with them. One is honesty, and two is a good memory. Honesty and a good memory. Come on, guys. I don't know everyone's testimony here today, but after hearing some of them yesterday, <laughs> all they got to remember is where God brought them from. Now, I know where I came from, and I don't dwell there that long. Don't really want to remember it all that much. But man, am I glad God brought me into a new arena in life. Amen? And so, but, and to be honest, to be honest, please be honest, 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 honest. And I don't say this to insult you, but you are not all that. Oh, I very well, I'm out of this church. <laughs> no, listen, I didn't say that. Paul the Apostle said it. Paul the Apostle said, as, as far as my righteousness, I'm unclean. The poison of Aspis under my, I can't even say the right thing with this tongue half the time. We've all gone astray. We've all been wicked. Just for my peace, the chastisement was put upon Jesus, Isaiah 53. It's all about Jesus, gang. It's about our relationship and staying humble. And when you approach him in prayer with humility and you come to him, hey, dad. Now, look, I'm not telling you to go around and call him dad or hey, pal, and high five you. I want you to remember that the time and place of prayer you should keep in awe. But Jesus said, please. I'm your brother. I'm your big brother. Father says he's our heavenly father. Our father who art in heaven. Hallowed. How holy. How separate be your name. Oh, your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Just our daily provisions. And forgive us as we forgive others. You see how he taught the disciples to pray? You come to him like that. Because we're nothing. Make sense? Paul the Apostle said, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. It was the grace that God extended to Paul. And Paul would say that your grace wasn't given in vain. For by grace are you saved through faith. That grace that saved you and I was not in vain. See, when we got saved, we must have came to him just the way we were. Amen? And then he begins to clean us and he begins to sanctify us and we become more and more like him. But we never become self-righteous and self-piet where we think, now, God, it's your blessing if I come to you. No, it's my blessing that I get to go to him. This Pharisee stood, he prays within himself. It's really kind of weird. What is it? Is he talking to himself? It seems like he's addressing himself. He does mention like, okay, God, I thank. But the scripture here in verse 11, he's talking to himself. And he's, he's dogging the guy behind him that won't even come in and won't look up. He's going, man, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. Well, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be like that guy. If it wasn't by the grace of God, I'd still be walking around this neighborhood stone out of my head. But by grace, he's pulled me out, unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. It was his riches at Christ's expense. I am saved by grace through faith and not of myself. How do people fall into that of yourself? The audacity 
for him to be so judgmental and look down and despise. He's not focusing on his walk with the Lord. He's not really focusing that much on God. He's really focused on himself, on the guy next to him, that, that publican. And again, I think what Jesus is revealing here, and I think it's very heavy, that God finds no, no, no pleasure in that kind of, of um, prayer. And I, I don't think he will take part in it. I don't think he'll take any kind of part in that conversation. He uses the tax collector as an example. Look at verse 13. The tax collector standing afar off wouldn't even open, or I'm sorry, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beats his breast and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, you and I, we think of that sinner, that word sinner is someone who's a sinner. You know, he's got the heavy seven sins of whatever. And you know what it's in the Greek it means? He goes, God, be merciful to me. I have missed the mark, man. Every target you've put up for me, I can't shoot a straight arrow to save my life. And I am just always missing the mark. And I'm unworthy even to come here. You know. A tax collector was hated. It was a hated occupation. He was, he was a hated person. Rome hated him. The Jews hated him. And man, the Pharisees couldn't stand him. But it seemed this, this tax collector had a love for God. And I just, you've heard of that thing, you know, you can't judge a, a book by its cover. You really can't judge a person by their cover. You can't, well, you really shouldn't be judgmental with how somebody dresses, you know. We shouldn't be judgmental by an occupation they might have. You really don't know what God's doing in the life of that person. And I just, I'm glad that Calvary Chapel, South Jersey, we don't struggle with that. We tell people, come as you are. You know, if you feel like you're a stinky, scaly fish, well, God will clean you up, man. Look, you don't go fishing thinking you're going to pop out a flounder that's already filleted and butter sitting on it and it's got the spices. All right, let's eat. You pull those things up. Now, I like to fish. I'm not an, you know, if you invite me, I'll go with you. But I'm not going to do it like every day, like some of these nuts, you know. It's an addiction. You need help. Missing piece. We got it for you right here. But no, seriously, you, you smell those. Just smell them. Okay. You've never seen a, or saw a good smelling fish. And that's the way we are. He pulls us up just the way we are and we stink. Our righteousness is a filthy rag. There's no good thing in me, no, not one good thing. And what he does is as he catches me and draws me in, he begins to descale me, you know. And filleting hurts sometimes, but he does that. And the way he will present us to the Father will be clean and washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen, guys? You stinky fishes. I want you to notice how he does approach him, the, you know, how he approaches him physically and how he approaches him verbally. We see that he's, a, he's standing afar off. We see that he won't lift up, up his eyes to heaven while he's praying. While he's praying, he's smoting his breast. 
uh, indication of brokenness. What is he broken over? Well, if he's asking for grace and mercy, then he's broken over his sinfulness. And in which I still today am broken over who I am. You know, I don't like who I am sometimes. How about you guys? You know, there's sometimes I'm okay with her and I'll go, wait, hey, that was a good one, bud. But most of the time it's like, oh, you knucklehead, you know. But there's a, there always should be a brokenness as we approach the Father and approach his throne. Never to come to him as if we deserve it or it's something we've done to achieve it. He approaches because he's a sinner and in need of a savior. Everything about this guy, unlike the Pharisee, exudes um, humbleness. Not like the Pharisees. Look, he said, verse 14, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector, when he left, he was justified. Now, don't try to make us a theological text. He's not talking about justification, justified, never sin, and getting into Romans 8, 9. He's not talking about it. He went home changed. Is what he said. He left that time with the Lord, with his father, and he was a different guy. Where he said about the other, though, you know, he goes home, but he goes home the same as he came. The the Pharisee never changed. He was still the same person. And Jesus said, look, if you want to be, I'm, I'm sorry, anyone who wants to exalt himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's his prerogative to exalt us. And what I think that means, by the way, if God's ever going to exalt you in ministry or exalt you in a place where people might see you from time to time, well, it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and then you'll be lifted up. You still have to go to him first. I love how David prayed, prayed with such simplicity. Listen to this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Tell me he isn't the real deal. And against you and you only have I sinned. I've done this evil in your sight. I think God loves that kind of person, that kind of simplicity, and that kind of realness, if that's a word. He's real, and he's saying it the way it is. And I love that. He answers it, too, by the way, in Psalms 86, where he said, But you, O Lord, are God full of compassion full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and you are abundant in mercy and in truth. That's what he'll tell us. I'm a slug. Yes, you are, but I'm abundant in mercy. I'm no good. Yes, you, you're not good. And you, he'll, agree to, he'll agree with you. You know, Paul said this, that it's a faithful saying worthy of acceptance that God came into the world to save sinners, Right? That's why he came, not to save righteous people, good people, or bad. He came to call you and I by his loving mercy and grace as sinners. And Paul would say, and I am the chief. You know, that's something we might be able to sit down and talk with Paul about. Wait a minute, Paul. I think I got you beat, man. I think I was the chief of sinner. sinners. All he wants us to be is genuine, and he wants us to be 
honest. That's what he wants from us. When we pray to him, I think it's so important, guys. I I begin to kind of wrap this thing up. I think it's something we have to recognize. Humility. I'm talking about humility. And it is something. Listen, if you're sitting here right now thinking, I'm humble. Maybe you need to listen to this. (laughs) You know? Humility is something that we have to consciously put on. It's something that goes against our sinful nature. It should be a battle. It is a fruit of the Spirit which tells me asking for it and then it grows. Humility is something It sometimes goes against my self, my, my old nature and its desire. It goes against its grain. But according to the Bible, this is something that you and I should put on. Listen to this out of Colossians 3.12 and just write these down as cross-references. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness and, listen, humbleness of mind. And it will continue. It will go meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, so also you, above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Not unlike the Pharisee who's there praying and then he's looking down at this publican, you know, not praying for him, criticizing and judging. But the Bible says because we are God's holy people. And what I mean by holy is that we are separate people. God has called us out of the world. He's put us in his marvelous light. We are no longer of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. That's what makes us holy people. Not that we're like monks or nuns walking around, you know, with halos on. No, again, we're still a sinner saved by grace. But God has called us out of darkness. So listen, Christian, if we're still meandering in darkness then you've got to ask yourself, have I put on Christ? Am I, have I put on humbleness of mind? Put on meekness? Put on long-suffering? Have I really put that on? It's a conscious decision to live a lifestyle that God has called us to live. Now, again, just so someone don't fall into legalism and say, okay, I'm going to make it work, you make that appeal to the Holy Spirit of God and say, God, I know it's a gift. I know it's fruits of the Spirit. I know I'm not humble. I know I'm not meek in certain areas of my life. I know I need to put this on. So with your Holy Spirit, would you please allow this gift to begin to take root in my life and let it grow into something that will blossom and then bear forth fruit. Amen, church? So we're asked, even in prayer, to have a humility, a spirit of humility when we go before him. Um, Not only do we approach him, with humility, but it also when we're when we put on humility, it it gives us that allowance for other people. In, in other words, I am not going to be so critical when I'm praying for somebody. You know, well, I'm glad I'm not like Joe and what he does. Yada yada. You know, no, you're going to go. 
Lord, I just, wow, thank you. You delivered me. I'll, I'll talk to the drug addict. You delivered me from drugs, and I still have a friend who's still strung out, Lord, and I'd be just like that. If, I, if it wasn't for your mercy and grace upon my life, and I know it was your divine power in my life, would you please extend that? To, instead of praying against him and, Lord, bring him into, you know, let hell from heaven rain down upon his head and, you know. No, that's not praying with humility. You pray like Paul, but by the grace of God, I am who I am, and his grace wasn't in vain. And, Lord, I want your grace, Lord, not to be in vain in that person's life. You pray for marriages that are we're struggling right now, and you go, oh, God, please. Arm and I, we've been married for over 40 years, and you've blessed us so long. God, I don't know why, how it worked, but you made it work. And this couple, if they just had your grace, Lord, would you please pour out? And you're not criticizing them. You're not looking down. Well, if they did their devotions more often, if they read the King James Bible... Yeah, watch that. Because we do put on humility. You know, you can always tell a person, well, I wouldn't say that's a rule of thumb, but you can tell a person by what they wear, can't you? My buddy Rich was here at the first service. We grew up together since second grade. And uh, he's a welder. And when I go and see him wherever he's working, he's got his welding gear. He's got his welding rods in his back pocket, you know. He comes strutting out. And I, I know he's a welder. And sometimes people in the professional field, they got their suits and ties and their wingtip shoes or whatever you people wear. And uh, you can just say, oh, it's a business guy. He's a lawyer. Or maybe he's, a, you know, an executor or something like that. You could just tell. You, you can tell a doctor when they walk out and they got their doctor gear. And you, am I making a good point here? Now? You tell a person, well, the world is looking at the church and it's wondering who's the church and who's not. And the only way they're going to know who the church is is by what we wear. And that's why it says to put it on. In fact, this is what it says in 1 Peter, if you allow me to read it to you, chapter 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the, unto the elders. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. For God, listen, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's what I'm saying. He is not pleased with the, those hypocritical, pharisaic, sadducitic, scribal-type prayers. He wants you to come with humbleness and gentleness and being real with him. And he says, that's the kind of prayers I accept. And when people look at you and they say, man, why are you so different? You don't yell at anybody. And, uh, you, you, you know, you... I don't hear you cursing, and, and you're, you're willing to go help your neighbor out at a, at a given time. And, you, man, what is with you? You're, why are you so humble? They, tell you, they can tell you by what you're wearing, what you've put on as his children. It's something separate from the world. He resists it. And he says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. In other words, again, and it's really harsh language, but where it says there that he resists, another word could be translated, he opposes you. Uh, to me, I, I struggle with those kinds of verses. I just, in my mind, I can't fathom God opposing anybody. But he says to the Pharisaic and the, the legalistic and the one who's looking down on other people and being self-judgmental and gossiping and all that, he goes, I oppose that. And again, I go to him as a son or as a daughter. We go into that more perfect sanctuary. Last thing I want to hear from the Holy Spirit, I, sorry, but I oppose you. Well, what did I do? 
Well, you're a little judgmental on that person and you're a little critical on this person. And you know what? You get up there on Sunday and you strut your stuff. But yet in our prayer closet, there's something that I oppose. And what do I do? I humble myself in the sight of the Lord and I ask for forgiveness and God cleanse my heart. Come on, let's keep it real. We're all in the same boat together. Once you know that you've put it on and you're clothed with it, then it's up to you to continue to walk with it. It's on you as a Christian. It's on me as a son of God to walk in the light as he is in the light. The blood of Jesus Christ, letting your light so shine before men that they might see your good works, that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We walk in this. We practice it. When we fail, we ask forgiveness over it. Now, this is what it says in Ephesians 4.1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of your vocation wherein you were called. With lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. And you know what, guys? When, we, when you see I, therefore, and again, this is another thing that I somehow, sometimes I get around. Where Paul the Apostle would go, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to live this way. Well, how much more do we need to be told or encouraged? I'm begging you. I'm begging you. He says the same thing in Romans 12. Therefore, let's say, I'm begging you by the mercies of God to present yourself unto the Lord as a holy sacrifice, which is reasonable and uh, holy service unto the Lord. He begs us to live this kind of lifestyle. Now, it's me talking to you. And I'm just like you. I got to live this sermon out. The whole week studying for it. Asking for forgiveness because we all fall short. But I, I doubt seriously if Jesus appeared before you right now. And he said, I beg you, not one of you would blink. You would say, right on, Jesus. I'll live that kind of life. I'll do it. And I'll do it with humbleness of heart and meekness. And I'll learn to take your yoke upon me. I will be like you. You gave me the greatest example. So Christian, today, I'm just warning you. Guys, if you'll make your way up, I'm just, I'm throwing that out as an appeal. I can't ask, I can't beg you. I'm in the same boat with you, but it's, as an appeal. That you present yourself to God as we close out in our, in our last song. Because where it says in, in Romans, I therefore beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, and again, mercy and grace, to present yourself as a living sacrifice. That's where you and I say, okay, God, I'm not presenting something dead. I'm, a, I'm alive and I present myself to you. And where it says there in Romans 12, this is your reasonable service. That word reasonable can be translated. This is the most logical thing you can do as a Christian. Most logical thing is to present yourself to God. If in your hearts of hearts this morning, you want to have this, just this putting on clothing and walking in humility. Well, let's make this just a collective prayer together. Would you stand with me, please? Rich is going to lead us out in a song as we close out today. And then when I start to pray, I want you to bow your heads and just, if you can, just me too, Lord. That's what I want. I want to be like you. I want to learn from you. And I want to be I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to look down on any person, saved or unsaved. I want to be like you. And I'm telling you something.
If you're here today and you're struggling, listen, Christian, this is just a Christian. If you're here not saved, get saved. We might get raptured. But listen, if you're struggling with that, then ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you in his Holy Spirit. He'll do it. He'll do it. Don't be afraid of that. I know there's the nuts out there and the wackos and all. But the Bible says, be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. The baptos, the Greek word means to allow him to immerse you in his Holy Spirit. And you'll see your life change as far when it comes to walking in the Spirit and walking in the light, being filled with his love. So if you struggle in that area... Ask him to fill you with the baptism of his Holy Spirit, you know, and just in your sense it, and just coming on you and just empowering you and giving you authority in the scriptures. Amen. So let's let's sing this song together. And then I want to read an old Puritan prayer to you when we're done. Puritan prayer. I found it in my notes. I was going through my notes uh, from last year, but listen. 
O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me from the desire of being esteemed. Deliver me, Jesus, from the desire of being loved, from the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred to others, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved and humiliated and despised. Fear, deliver me from fear of suffering rebuke. Deliver me from fear of being calculated, fear of being uh, forgotten, fear of being ridiculed, fear of being wronged, from fear of being suspected that others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, that others may be chosen and I set aside, others may be praised and I unnoticed, others may be preferred uh, to me in, in everything, that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word and just this amazing time that we've had in it. Sometimes we'll cover a whole chapter, Lord, and sometimes we just cover a few verses like this. And yet they're both as powerful. And Lord, as I had said earlier, Lord, pride, being... um, Self-righteous, it doesn't always come in like a whirlwind. Sometimes we grow in it. Lord, if we're in that process right now, Lord, where we, we see it, it's noticeable, the pride. And Lord, we want it to stop right now. We want it to die in our lives. As John said, I have to decrease in order for you to increase. Uh, Lord, I do pray for that. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that... God, we would all have the desire to see you high and lifted up and where all men are drawn to you. And we are probably the only Bibles that many of our friends will ever see or read. So we want to be that book, God, where they look at us and see that, that walk we walk and what we're clothed in. So, God, we just yield our hearts to you this morning and we pray for that baptism of your spirit to come upon us, Lord. Lord, that he will just engift us, Lord, and that those fruits of gentleness and humility and, and all the above will come and start to grow in our lives. It might come as a blossom at first, but, I, Lord, I believe it will give birth to a full, blown-out fruit, Lord. Please, I pray, God, that you would be honored and glorified in our lives, and especially the way we approach your throne, the way we talk to you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the examples you've set before us. Thank you for just the desire to want to be like that. We just pray now just for that empowerment of your spirit. And everyone said together, amen and amen. God bless you guys. And before you go, turn around, shake someone's hand.